Before I read our scripture reading this morning, one of the things I advise and counsel people to do when they're reading the Bible in small groups out loud, whenever you encounter a name, a difficult name to pronounce, choose the way you're going to pronounce it and continue to pronounce it that way, whether it is the correct or the uncorrect pronunciation. Just go with it, no one will know. Except when you're reading from the book of Job. His name is not pronounced Job, he is Job. And if you call him Job, we will know. So this morning we are going to read from Job, chapter one, verses six through 22. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you at this. Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're going to see that the God who allows suffering is the God who is with us and for us in our suffering. There is nothing 
more certain than suffering. Suffering is inevitable. Suffering is unavoidable. Suffering is all around us, and suffering ruins so many good things. You and I have experienced suffering, and we will experience suffering. During Christ's Last Supper, he makes so many wonderful promises. The promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The promise that he will go before us and prepare a place for us in his Father's house. Yet Christ makes another not-so-pleasant promise during his Last Supper discourse. He says these words in John 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, trials, tribulations. In this world, you will have suffering. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The most natural response to suffering often is not to be uplifted and encouraged or to take heart. In fact, I have found that one of the most natural human responses to suffering is to ask this one-word question. And I bet that most of you have asked this very question. Why? Lord, if you love me, why is this happening? Have you ever asked why? Suffering often forces us to ask life's big questions and often puts our faith in question. Before moving to Connecticut, I had a neighbor who we will call John. And I grew close to John over the course of a few years, and I asked John to tell me about his faith journey. And John shared that he was raised Roman Catholic. He always remembered believing in God. And then when John was in high school, his younger cousin grew very ill. And so John did what Roman Catholics are taught to do, what Protestants, Presbyterians are taught to do. John prayed for his cousin. Prayers were not answered. John's family and church family prayed for his cousin, and the prayers were not answered. And John watched as his younger cousin suffered and died. And John asked the question that many of us have asked, why? Why is this happening? And John shared that since then, he has walked away from his faith. He couldn't bring himself to believe in a God who allows this type of suffering. John had hit a wall in his journey with God. Have you ever hit a wall in your journey with God? A circumstance a diagnosis, a divorce, a disease, a death that turned your life upside down. And, it, and you were praying, but it felt like God wasn't answering. And you were praying, and it felt like God didn't care. And you were reading your Bible, but it felt like God wasn't with you, and you began to question everything. Have you ever hit a wall in your journey with God? This is what Pastor Pete Scazzaro in his emotionally healthy spirituality calls our journey to the wall. And, and Pastor Pete presents this idea. Just 
as suffering is inevitable, inevitable, perhaps our journey to the wall with God is also inevitable. Today, we are going to look at one man's journey through suffering and his journey through the wall. And his name is Job. Job's story, of course, is found in the Old Testament book of Job. His story is one of the oldest and most famous stories of suffering, not just in the church, not just in the synagogue, but most famous stories in the world. And we're going to look at three things from the life of Job. Job's source of suffering, Job's response to suffering, and God's response to Job, the sufferer. Here's how Pastor Pete describes Job in his EHS book. In today's world, you would see Job's face on the cover of Forbes magazine as being the richest person in the world. Job was a devout follower of God. Job was the spiritual leader of his household. And in Job chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord describes Job as his servant, which doesn't seem like much in our postmodern church context, but in the Old Testament, servant was a, a title reserved for God's greatest. Job joins Moses, Joshua, and David as being distinguished with the title of servant of the Lord, Job was a devout follower of God, Job, a holy man, and Job, a man who was exceedingly prosperous by the world's standards. And we read what happened to Job in chapter 1. The angels came to meet with the Lord, and Satan came with them. And the Lord is the one who said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. He is blameless. He is upright. He shuns evil and fears God. A few weeks ago, we received a text message from my three-year-old son's teacher with a picture. And it was a picture of my, my son, Ben, dribbling a basketball. And the text message read, Ben is an amazing dribbler. Let me say as the proud father, he was only two at the time. Do you know what I did with that digital photo and caption that read, Ben is an amazing dribbler? I posted it. I sent it to our friends chat. I sent it to our siblings chat. I sent it to our grandparents' chat. I was thinking that it would make a nice article for our church e-newsletter, amen? Why? Why, why, why do we boast about the achievements, the accomplishments of our loved ones because we are proud of them. And so when I read the beginning of the book of Job, I see the father as the proud heavenly father. He's boasting in his boy Job. There's my boy Job. He shuns evil. There's my boy Job. He stands in wonder and in awe of me. There's my boy Job. He's teaching his children to follow and serve me. My boy Job, he loves me. Job is dribbling circles around you, Satan. And here is Satan's response to the Lord's boasting. Does Job fear God? 
follow God, love God for nothing. You have given him everything. Lord, it's, it's not you he loves. Lord, he doesn't love you for you. It's the money he loves. It's the big family he loves. It's the prosperity that he loves. He's using you. It's what he's getting from you that draws him to you, Lord. And if you strike everything, he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan in verse 12, very well, then everything he has is in your power, Satan, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And we'll see later in the book that the Lord does allow Satan to lay a finger. So Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord, and here's what happens next. Enemies invaded, lightning struck, a tornado unleashed her fury. Job loses his ten children. His body, are, his body is seized with sores. And if that's not bad enough to be seized with sores, there were worms living in the sores on his body. Job uh, encounters a fever with the pain of chills. He moves outside the city walls to the town's garbage dump. And very quickly in the book of Job, we see this man who is the picture of prosperity become the very picture, the embodiment of human suffering. So let's look at the source of Job's suffering. Who was behind Job's suffering? Was Job behind his suffering? Was the world behind his suffering? Was it the Lord who struck Job down? What we see through the book of Job is that the Lord does not strike Job. The Lord does not directly or actively cause Job's suffering. The Lord does not bring death or disease or disaster upon Job and his family. The source of Job's suffering is Satan. Satan is the one who is directly and actively inflicting evil and suffering upon Job. The Lord hates evil. I'm just going to say that again. The Lord hates evil. The Lord hates suffering. The Lord hates to see you a victim of evil. And the Lord hates to see you suffer. Joni Erickson, the founder of the International Disability Center, wrote, When we are in pain, God feels the sting in his chest. The biblical word that means to suffer with is compassionate. The most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible writers comes from Exodus chapter 34. Here's what God reveals to Moses about who God is. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate. The Lord, the Lord is the one who suffers with. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord suffers with us in our suffering. But here's the tension. You ready? You ready for the rub? You ready for the, for the conflict? Here it comes. God is all-powerful, which means that God has the power to stop our suffering. 
It is within his power, his authority, his sovereignty to do away with all suffering. Yet, God does not stop all of your suffering, all of the world's suffering. And here's the interesting part about the book of Job. We, the readers, know the source of Job's suffering, and Job is completely in the dark about the source of his suffering. He has no idea why what is happening to him is happening to him. And Satan is betting that Job's suffering will create a wall between him and God. Satan is betting that that Job will give God the silent treatment. Satan is betting that the power of suffering will drive Job away from God. That Job will cease to trust in the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, faithful God of the Bible. God knows everything. Satan doesn't. You know what? Job does in the face of tremendous, senseless suffering. He doesn't run away from God. He doesn't give God the silent treatment. He he doesn't leave the church or give up on faith. Job's realistic. Job, Job feels the suffering. He tears his clothes, which was a sign of grief. He shaves his head, which was a sign of grief and loss and sadness and mourning. And he allows that suffering to drive him in the ground. And it's from the ground that Job gives us words to utter when we have no words to utter in the face of suffering. Here's what Job says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. And here it is. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The scriptures tell us that in suffering, Job worships God. The journey through the wall starts in our grief, in our mourning, in our suffering, in our anger, in our confusion by staying in worship of God. While I was a student at Princeton Seminary, I was studying under the supervision of Pastor Gloria Yee. And Pastor Gloria and her husband, Steve, who were both Presbyterian ministers, were ministering to the youth and the children of this church, and I learned a lot from them. And and while I was studying under her, Steve, her husband, who was about my age now, was diagnosed with cancer. We hosted prayer services for Pastor Steve. Steve was a man that the Lord used powerfully. Steve was a man, when you were in the room with Steve, you were the only one in the room. Steve was being used to touch God's life. They just had their first child, a child that was, they had been waiting for and praying for. And the doctors operated and did chemo on Steve, and we heard that 99% of Steve's cancer was removed. A few months later, that 1% killed Steve. And we asked the question that we ask when we are suffering. We asked God, God, why is this happening To Gloria, why did this happen to Steve? Why is this happening to us? And I remember being at Steve's funeral. And during the funeral service, we sang a song which is entitled, Blessed Be Your Name. And the lyrics go like this. They're the words of Job. The Lord gives. You give and take away. You give and take away. You give and take away. Yet my heart will choose to say, Blessed be your name. And as we were singing this song and worshiping God, there was Pastor Gloria in the front row with her hands open, 
tears streaming down her face, worshiping God at the wall, singing, blessed be your name. The journey through the wall starts at the ground level by staying in worship of God, the God who allows your suffering. Most of the book of Job is actually about Job's interaction with his three friends. His three friends came to mourn with Job. They heard of his troubles and his trials. And for a week, Job's three friends sat with Job without uttering a word because his suffering was so great. And then they opened their mouths. And do you know what the friends said? Friends made a mistake that, that sometimes we make as followers of God. They said, we know why you're suffering. Do you know why you're suffering? You're suffering because God is punishing you. Your sin, Job, is the cause of your suffering. Right or wrong, Job's sin was the cause of his suffering. Job defends himself. Job argues with his friends. And here's where Job lands. I want to meet face to face with God. I want an opportunity to defend myself with the Lord God Almighty. And at the end of the book, after a period of silence at the wall, the Lord speaks to Job. And here's just a small excerpt of what the Lord said to Job from Job chapter 38. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this? who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this who does not know what they do not know? Who is this who is unknowing of the plans of the Lord? And then the Lord goes on and on about the immensities and the wonders of the universe. Do you know what the Lord doesn't say to Job? The Lord never gives Job an explanation for his suffering. The Lord never tells Job why. I have a plan for you, Job, right? And, and we look back in history, and the plan is, is pretty obvious, right? Thousands and thousands of years later, we can understand that the Lord used Job's suffering to help millions and millions and millions of people through their suffering. But Job has no idea, and he gets no explanation from God. How do you journey through the wall? Well, you stay with God in worship, and you accept not knowing. Accept that you'll never have the answers to the reason of suffering. Accept not knowing. Here's the last thing. Remember God's final answer to suffering. Remember God's final answer to the problem of suffering. Centuries after Job's life, God sent one like Job. Job was a son of man. The one who came after Job was a son of man and the son of God. Job feared God and shunned evil. The one who came after Job was sinless. Job was a victim of evil and suffering. The one who came after Job chose evil and suffering. Just as Job felt betrayed and abandoned by God, the one who came after Job cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And just like Job, the one who cried on the cross received no immediate answer to the question of his suffering. And the one who came after Job was God in flesh, Jesus Christ, who came to suffer for us. Jesus Christ is the only one in history who came to suffer for your forgiveness, for your freedom, and for our salvation. And for you Jobs out there this morning, this is God's ultimate answer to your suffering. That's the proof that God loves you in your suffering. That's your proof that God is for you in your suffering. And that's your proof that one day there will be no more suffering. We are saved from evil and sin and death and hell by a man who faced it for us. You sufferers, God loves you. God chooses you. God suffers with you. He promises to never leave you nor forsaken you. And he is the God who allows suffering and he is the God who suffers for us. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. At the wall, we can take heart knowing that this is a journey Christ has gone through for you, and it is a journey that Christ will bring us through. God allows suffering, and God is with us and for us in our suffering. May it be so. Amen.